0: Hello, and welcome to Matters of Experience. My name is Abigail Honor. And I'm Brenda Cowan. Welcome to this week's podcast, Satisfaction as Ultimate Experience, with our guest, John Falk. John, we are excited to welcome you to the show today to discuss this very intriguing idea.
1: John, you are the executive director for the Institute for Learning Innovation, and the Sea Grant Professor Emeritus at Oregon State University. You have amassed decades of experience in leadership, audience research, and practice on the subject of why and how museums and exhibitions matter. Could you tell us about your work with museums and audiences, and well, what led you to your current role?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, Abby and Brenda, for inviting me here today, and I am delighted. So where to begin? I've been working for nearly 50 years to better understand why people go to places like museums, what they do there, and what value or outcomes they derive from such experience. And over those decades, I've worked variously at the Smithsonian Institution, Oregon State University, and for the majority of that time as Executive Director, as you mentioned, of the not-for-profit Institute for Learning Innovation. And across all these years, my goal has been to understand these issues, first and foremost through the lens of visitors themselves. What do actual users of these experiences believe is the value of their experiences and why?
0: In your current work, you think museums can and should provide experiences that enhance well-being in their visitors. Let's talk about that. In fact, you see museums as excelling at supporting well-being. So what do these experiences that help our well-being look like?
2: Well, to really answer those questions, I need to step back and explain how I came to this conclusion in the first place. So starting over 40 years ago, I began to ask people, to tell me, why did you go to a museum? Do you remember going to a museum? Tell me about your experience. What do you remember? And over those 40 years, I have interviewed hundreds of people. Three things stand out. So first of all, virtually everyone who you ask, have you ever been to a place like a museum, can recall that and say, yes, I can remember that. And that's true whether it was days or months or even decades. And the other interesting thing is virtually everyone has something positive to say about their museum experience. And the third thing is everyone remembers something, but virtually no one's memories are comparable. Everyone remembers something unique and idiosyncratic. In fact, even to the point where I purposefully interviewed groups of people who had gone through the museum at the same time, and they all remember the experience, but they tell entirely different stories about what their experiences were. So, of course, various people, including me, have interpreted this data in various ways, but more recently when i looked at it and stepped back and tried to make sense of it i was really struck by a couple of things and the most significant is this non-trivial reality that everyone remembers their museum experience most people remember virtually nothing of what they've done in the past and research would suggest the only things we remember are things that are meaningful and what is meaningful to someone are things that affect their well-being. We've evolved four big categories of perceived well-being, what I have called personal, intellectual, social, and physical well-being. So let's talk about personal well-being. As people, we derive great satisfaction from feeling a sense of amazement and wonder, from being spiritual, from feeling creative, from feeling like we have an understanding and can enhance our sense of who we are, a sense of identity. And it turns out that places like museums and exhibits are pretty good at stimulating these things. People also work really hard at what I've called their intellectual well-being. We derive great satisfaction from being able to exercise choice and control over our world. And we seek to accomplish this by being curious, by learning and understanding our world and using that information to affect future decisions, as well as to make sense of what happened to us in the past. And again, museums are great places for people to do all those things. But humans are highly social creatures. And so we have this desire to love and be loved and to show respect and be respected. And it turns out that, again, places like museums turn out to be pretty good places for enacting those kinds of experiences. And then finally, not to diminish it, going back to the beginning Life evolved the ability to work really hard to make sure that its well-being was enhanced in terms of food, shelter, also safety and security. If anything, events of the last couple of years with COVID would suggest we are very adverse to doing things that we think are going to make us sick or ill or going places that we think are going to make us sick or ill. The reason people historically went to museums is because they did feel safe and secure in those places. So, the specifics are unique, but you can generalize that the basic outcomes can be categorized into these four categories. And that's really important and that's pretty cool.
1: John, this is high praise for museums. And I love the idea that you suggest that everyone experiences or can experience the sense of awe when they go to a museum. So, I just wanted to really underscore what, what I think is really very hopeful work. There are folks who would say that well-being is, it's intangible, it's squidgy, but can you actually measure well-being outcomes in museum experiences?
2: So, the short answer is absolutely yes. Most of the ways, people are collecting well-being data these days is by asking people these generic questions about their life over the past year. What is true for health is equally true for my social situation because, you know, today I may be feeling good because my spouse and I are getting along, but tomorrow we may have an argument and I may feel terrible about my relationship with my spouse. These things go up and down and that's just the way it is. That's life life is always fluctuating. And so our well-being is always fluctuating. So if you want to accurately measure well-being, the long and short of it is you have to say, ask a question about a specific event over a specific time period. And guess what? We can do that with museums. We can say, so when you went to the museum yesterday or a month ago, did that experience make you feel good or bad? And in what ways? Because that's a discrete, definable time period. And I can reflect on that and give you a reasonably valid and reliable answer. And as a consequence, we can quantitatively measure the degree to which people have well-being as a outcome of those experiences. But the other caveat to that is well-being develops over time. It's not instantaneous. So my perception of well-being of a museum experience changes over time because the quality of that experience Depends on what happened, not just at the museum, but after the museum. So it suggests that if you wait longer, if you wait days, weeks, ideally months, to ask people, their ability to say, yeah, not only did I have a good experience, but over those couple days and weeks and months since then, I've continued to have a positive experience. We keep talking about our museum experience. And the value of that experience actually increases. And if you're clever, which I tried to be, I found that I could actually not only measure the quality of museum experiences, I could monetize it. And lo and behold, I could find that even though the average cost of going to a museum was on the order of tens of dollars, $20, $10, $20, $30, the mean value that people ascribed to those experiences, because of their persistence, we're on the order of hundreds of dollars. And if you even go further and calculate the return on investment, what you find is that the return on investment is on the order of a thousand percent, which is really important and significant.
0: So first of all, I think our minds are blown with that type of return on investment. (laughs) That is fantastic and very heartening. Currently, your work looks at the idea that meaningful experiences are satisfying experiences, that visitors are sort of innately driven to museums to experience satisfaction as part of their well being. How would you define this notion of satisfaction?
2: So, satisfaction is immediate feedback, well being is longer term feedback. So, as you remember, we can't really accurately measure well being. When people are still in the museum, we have to wait weeks and months later, but we can measure satisfaction as a proxy for well-being immediately. Satisfaction, as it turns out, is an anticipatory reaction. Satisfaction is not really about what has happened. It's about the anticipation of what's to happen. And that anticipation is based on our expectations and perceptions of novelty. So I have higher satisfaction for something if I hope that this would happen and I have a sense that it's about to happen. And I have even higher satisfaction if I think that what's about to happen is really surprising and novel and is likely to exceed my expectations. So the good news is over the past decade or so, biologists, neuroscientists, psychologists have made a lot of progress in trying to figure out how satisfaction works And what are the important clues that help to determine whether this complex phenomenon is going on? So we can build on that information to not only understand how satisfaction acts as a precursor of well-being, but to measure it and to use this as a tool to begin to disentangle whether people are having satisfying experiences or not within the museum. And it turns out one of the reasons this is really critically important is that satisfaction is really closely tied to a couple of really, really important things, long-term memory, long-term motivation, and future action. Satisfied people are significantly more likely to repeat an activity than unsatisfied people. And satisfied people are significantly more likely to want to share that experience with others.
0: I don't understand something, though, John. So you mentioned that there's a lot more satisfaction before you do the thing, for example, before you eat the ice cream than actually when you're eating the ice cream. So how does that work with a museum visit, for example? So wouldn't there be more satisfaction about going to see the exhibit or the experience and more potential for a lack of satisfaction during and therefore after the experience?
2: Yes and no. So actually, what my research suggests is that virtually everybody, whether they are conscious of it or not, goes to the museum with expectations of what they're going to experience. When I first started working in museums some 40, 50 years ago, it was estimated that something like 25 to 30% of the public went to a museum-like setting at least once a year. These days, pre-pandemic, mind you, those numbers were more like 60%. It's really hard to bump into anybody these days who's never been to a museum, an adult in their life. And so, even if I'm going to a museum I've never been to, I have some expectations of what I'm going to see and what I'm going to do. And satisfaction is deeply tied to those expectations. And so, more than anything else, I'm using the museum to fulfill those expectations. And I find that very satisfying.
0: To play devil's advocate, do you think there is that expectation to answer, yes, I was satisfied, because there's that pressure to have been satisfied after you visited Mm. a museum?
2: That is also there. It turns out that those are self-fulfilling prophecies, and people work really hard to make those come true, because there's a cost to you in being disappointed. I've invested a lot of time and energy in doing this activity. And so, I'm highly motivated for it to be successful. And so, I'm going to bend over backwards to make it successful. And in fact, there's evidence that people will do that, that they will ignore negative information because they want it to be successful. You know, there's such a thing as bad design, but people will work hard to overcome that bad design. You can make it easier for people to be satisfied. You can make it harder for people to be satisfied. But overall, most people are satisfied because they want to be satisfied.
1: On the subject of design, though, people are bringing very high expectations and desires. They're motivated in many different ways to go to a very wide variety of experience spaces these days. And we have many folks listening to the program who do work in museums of all different forms, but also branded environments and different kinds of events and spectaculars, really the world of design as we have it today. And I'm wondering, how do you think that we can all better serve visitor satisfaction and well-being in the work that we create?
2: Yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is from the psychologist Kurt Lewin, who said back in the 50s, there is nothing so practical as a good theory. And (laughs) I want to believe this is a good theory. I want to believe that this new model of museum experiences represents a figurative Rosetta Stone. It's a way to basically decode what's going on in these visitor experiences. And once decoded, professional experience creators can use this information to figure out how to create better and more satisfying and engaging experiences. Because if we more deeply understand why people derive value, and what it is about these experiences that create perceptions of value, then we can build on that information and reinforce it.
0: Just thinking about a satisfying experience, that must differ depending on who the person is. Because But imagine a mother with a child, for example, a young two-year-old going to a museum for something a bit different, take myself out the rut. Hopefully the kids will be quiet. They'll see something visually that entertains them for five minutes. How do you think designers should work to create satisfaction in different types of visitors?
2: So, first of all, our historic use of demographics is a bankrupt way of thinking about needs and diversities. Because understanding that, for example, I'm a 60 year old white male with a college education gives you no clue as to why I showed up that day or what my needs were. Because today I may show up by myself and as you say, tomorrow I show up with my grandchild. And my needs and interests would be entirely different on those two days, although my demographics would be exactly the same. So we need to get deeper. We need to understand people's expectations. We Need to understand what is going to give people well being on that particular day. And that's a really tall order. But we can begin to unpack this and at least come to some initial approximations and do what in industry is called mass customization as opposed to total customization of experiences. So I can at least create choices. I can at least attempt to create some kind of interface. The best one would be a real person who greets me at the door and tries to understand what I'm interested in today. Or you could use technology and have people answer a couple of questions on their website before you come, so that you can give people suggestions on where to go and what to do. And in some utopian future, we would meet everybody's needs uniquely. But in the short term, we at least have to create more customized experiences. But the key ultimately... The reason these experiences are considered so valuable by so many people is because they afford choice and control.
0: John, yeah, I'm really happy that you mentioned people, visitors, before they actually enter the building and engaging them before they engage with the museum itself. I think that is so important.
2: And I would actually go so far as to suggest the corollary of that is equally true, that we have historically defined and seem to think that the only thing we have control over is figuratively what happens in the box when somebody comes to the exhibit. And that's just not true. We can push those boundaries out and we can try to influence why people come and what their expectations are, and we can influence and continue to have impact on what they do afterwards and how they value that experience. And the better we get at that, the more successful we will be at supporting people's enhanced well-being as well and satisfaction.
1: You said something quite a while back about AWE and the power of awe, and I'm listening to this idea of mass customization and the customization and the individual, which is so critical, and I keep thinking about awe and something that we know about the experience of awe that can happen in museums and happens right oftentimes in nature and in grand moments, as well as in quite small, intimate moments, but we know that awe is a pro-social experience, right? We know that awe is a human unifier and that it unifies people in really powerful ways. And as you were talking, as I've been listening, I've been wondering, is there such a thing as mass well-being?
2: I mean, at some level, the answer is, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a reason why tens of thousands of people every year go to Gawk at Niagara Falls or uh, Iguazu Falls or to look at the Grand Canyon. Those are mass awe experiences. And every year, millions of people go to the Smithsonian's Museum of Natural History to see the Hope Diamond. And I think there are some museums and some contexts in which we can tap into that. But those are really few and far between and exceptional experiences. The awe that most people get from museums is more of a lowercase awe than the uppercase awe of seeing Niagara Falls or the Hope Diamond. And so those two can be shared experiences. And virtually every museum has its own version of the Hope Diamond. It's just maybe a lowercase Hope Diamond in the sense of a little less awe-inspiring than maybe something like that. But those represent shared experiences, and I think um, museums can tap into that, but not to the exclusion of other kinds of experiences.
0: Returning back to the concept of satisfaction, it seems sort of like a low benchmark in a way. Is satisfaction enough? It provides us with a memory, it seems, but how does it influence us to action when you think about going to museums, seeing stories, being impassioned and wanting to leave and make a difference, do something after our experience? Satisfaction seems a little too comfortable.
2: Well, that's if you trivialize satisfaction. But if you think about satisfaction as a mechanism for determining whether an experience is worth paying attention to, is memorable is something that will be meaningful to you in your life, then if we don't achieve that bar, which is a fairly high bar, nothing else is going to happen. You aren't going to take further action if it wasn't perceived as a valuable and satisfying experience. But I would also hesitate to suggest that many professionals have rather overinflated expectations for what they can accomplish through the medium of exhibits or museum experiences. We're talking about for any particular ex- exhibition in a museum, this is a 15, 20, gosh, one hour event in somebody's life. So, what reasonably would you expect would come out of that? How many 20 minute experiences in your life have changed what you do for the rest of your life? Well, if you're lucky maybe one or two of them have, but it's really hard to script that. That's not a reasonable expectation. It's not. For people who are inclined to move in that direction, going to an exhibit can be a catalyst, can reinforce and help move people in that direction, but it's totally unlikely to dramatically change the trajectory of someone's life. And the fact that people hold those expectations is misguided. We should be grateful that these are memorable, long-lasting experiences. We should be grateful that people feel that these experiences have value to them and enhance their well-being. But we should be humble about in what ways they do that, for what reasons they do that, and for what the outcomes of these experiences should be.
1: Well, I think that measurable well-being in museums is... Extraordinary. And listening to you, John, it's it's so hopeful. And I think of it, it feels almost like fuel. And from the designer perspective, anyway, the idea of measurable well-being, the idea of the meaningfulness of satisfaction... It can drive us to really know that what we do is purposeful. And for that, I'm really grateful. And I want to thank you very much for sharing that and sharing your work with us today. I'm also going to add in a quick plug For your most recent book, this is The Value of Museums, Enhancing Societal Well-Being. And I'll also point out that um, to our listeners, John is going to also be writing an upcoming chapter in a volume that I'm co-authoring called Flourishing in Museums.
2: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have an opportunity to chat. And hopefully what I've said, I'm sure is provocative and um, hopefully will get some people thinking.
1: It certainly was. Thank you, John. Yeah. Matters of Experience is produced by Lorem Ipsum Corp. Please tune in next week for another conversation. Thank you all for listening.